DiscerningHearts.com presents Inside the Pages, Insights from Today's Most Compelling Authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I am delighted to once again be joined by Dr. James Papandrea, who is a professor of church history and historical theology at Garrett Evangelical Seminary at Northwestern University. He's the author of numerous books, including From Star Wars to Superman, Christ Figures in Science Fiction and Superhero Films, Reading the Early Church Fathers from the Didache to Nicaea, and How Christianity Saved Civilization and Must Do So Again, co-authored with Mike Aquilina. With James Papandreou, we go inside the pages of What Really Happens After We Die, How We Know There Will Be Hugs in Heaven, published by Sophia Institute Press. It would make sense that there would be this idea of purgatory as we understand it, because after we die, we're still the same person. You know, sometimes we think if I die, that somehow I'm going to go to heaven directly, and it's going to be the most wonderful place. But I, there are other people that have died that I've got issues with, or I've been nasty to. And then you've got all of the, the drama. There isn't mm-hmm. that type of drama in heaven, as we understand it. Otherwise, it wouldn't necessarily be heaven. Yeah, well, that's true. I mean, the, the thing that I that I tell folks, both Catholic and Protestant, is, you know, think back to the Old Testament and think about how if you were to commit certain sins or something would, were to happen to you and that would make you unclean. And in the Old Testament, to be unclean is to be unfit to approach God in worship. So if you're unclean, you can't go to the temple until you perform some sort of ritual purification. Well, in the New Covenant, our sin makes us unclean. We are unfit to enter into the presence of God, even when we die. So what has to happen is a purification. And purgatory is that purification that takes place um, after we die, but before we are ready to enter into the, the, the full presence of God in the kingdom of heaven. It's a loving uh, response by God, isn't it? I mean, to help us, to to love us into wholeness, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's all motivated by God's mercy and compassion toward us. I mean, because if God didn't want to forgive us, it'd be a lot easier, you know, but... Um, but no, all of this is motivated by God's compassion for us and, and, and mercy. It, some would say, if he's such a loving God, why would there be hell? And yet that is very much a reality, isn't it? It is. You know, a lot of, a lot of people I know will sort of throw up their hands with the whole thing and, and, um, and sort of uh, accept the very attractive belief that everybody goes to heaven. It's called universalism. And I always say I would love to be a universalist because it would be so comfortable. The, the reason I can't be a universalist is because Jesus wasn't one. And, and again, if you go back to the teachings of Jesus, he talked about hell. And he, he was very clear that not everybody's going to heaven. And I guess the way I look at it is this, is that you know if, if people reject God in life and don't want to have anything to do with God, then God is going to respect that choice in the afterlife as well. And uh, I kind of think of it as, in one sense, God doesn't send people to hell. People choose to go there, and and God gives them that choice and lets them do that. Yeah. In many cases, you know, we know God is love, 
Uh, that says that John tells us that in the scriptures. What? Who is he? God is love. And in many ways, if people have never experienced love uh, or they reject love, that's the biggest crime. I mean, that's the heart of evangelization, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think so. And I, and I mean, I think that, uh, you know, God's mercy and God's grace is available. And, um, you know, it is our job to try to make sure everybody experiences love somehow and has that invitation. But at the end of the day, if people reject love, you know, love isn't real if it's, if it's coerced. I mean, even God won't force anyone to love him because that wouldn't be real love. Real love has to be voluntary. And so, if people reject God's love and God's offer of forgiveness, well, that that is the unforgivable sin, isn't it? To reject God's offer of forgiveness. Oh yeah, and and it's so sad, you know. And I think that's one of the reasons why this whole discussion to get bring it back to the body is so important because we have to respect this gift that we've been given, not only our own bodies but the bodies of others. And it's that's right. And when we devalue that or we use that, it makes the connection to love very difficult for many people. True love, true authentic love. Uh, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I, I really believe that, you know, what happens after we die should influence how we live. Mm. And, um, you know, the the ancient heretics known as the Gnostics were, were one of the primary groups that had this idea that the body was evil or the body was disgusting. And so it gave them permission in their minds to either ignore the body, ignore the bodies of the poor and the hungry, or to indulge the body and, and um, you know, basically in, engage in orgies and all these kinds of things that they had. And, and so, you know, we as Christians, on the other hand, are are called to a, a life of balance where we, we do not indulge our bodies, but we don't necessarily punish the body either, yet we respect the bodies, our own and, and the bodies of others. And so we're called to be engaged in the corporal works of mercy. We're called to be um, outspoken for the cause of life and, you know, and, and all of these kinds of things because the body really is an essential part of who we are as human beings. We're talking with James Papandrea about his book, What Really Happens After We Die. And the subtitle is There Will Be Hugs in Heaven. Let's talk about those hugs. Let's talk about heaven. It, it's the goal, isn't it? We shoot for heaven. We don't shoot for purgatory. Let's shoot for heaven, folks. <laughs> well, that's right. You know, but the thing to keep in mind is that, that the word heaven is a kind of an umbrella term for everything that happens um, or everything that we hope will happen to us after we die. Um, but the resurrection, the resurrection of the body, when we were reunited with our redeemed bodies, that is something in the future. That is something that happens at the end of human time, the end of human history, uh, at what we might, we might call the, the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ. And so after the resurrection, when we exist in the, in the kingdom of God, um, yes, there will be hugs in heaven because we will have our bodies back and we will interface with each other and interact with each other through our bodies just as we do now. But in the meantime, between now and that final resurrection, um, we, you know, we, we either live or we die and we, we go to what we might call paradise. Uh, perhaps we, we go to purgatory first and then through purgatory to paradise. 
Um, but it, but it's kind of a two phase existence, right? Mm-hmm. Paradise is still a disembodied existence because we haven't received the resurrection body yet. It's only after the resurrection that we are then embodied again and sort of fulfilled as human beings. You know, for the Christian, this I think it's easier to comprehend than we may think, because there was that that place. I don't know how better to say it. You're you're much more articulate than I am, but I mean the stages when we think of the deaths of those who came before Christ. When you think of his, well, Saint Joseph, or the patriarchs, and all those holy men and women, or all the people that before Christ came, where were they? What happened to them? And how will we meet them? And uh, am I making this overly complicated, Jim? Well, no, you're not making it overly complicated, but it, but there's a lot of mystery here, and there's a lot of questions that we simply don't have the answers for. Um, you know, one of the things that I don't talk about in my book is what's sometimes referred to as the harrowing of hell. In other words, Jesus going into the underworld as as the, you know, first century people understood it, the, the, the Hades or the underworld, and, and um, rescuing those uh, who came before him. Um, we just don't know much about that. Uh, all I do know is that Jesus said to the good thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And so we believe in paradise, and then we believe in the resurrection. And after the resurrection, we believe in the fully realized kingdom of God. Um, and yes, I believe that those those people will be there, the patriarchs, um, St. Joseph, uh, they will be there, and we will be able to interact with them and talk to them. And this is, you know, this is part of the, the theme of my book is that, that heaven is, is not just me and Jesus staring into each other's eyes for all eternity. Heaven is a reunion with not only all those people that we loved and lost, but with all of the saints. And uh, so if you, you know, you, your, your favorite saint, if you want to meet that person, I believe that you will. I can't help it. Sometimes I see Thomas Kincaid paintings of the perfect little cottage on the stream in the perfect forest thinking, okay, that's my house in heaven. I mean, is <laughs> is it possible that we will have those kind of existence or do we just not know yet? Yeah, we just don't know. I mean, I, I think we can be pretty confident that um, there is there is some physicality to the existence. Again, this is even the kingdom of heaven is a created existence and we will be there in resurrection bodies. Now, the resurrection bodies are, on the one hand, the same bodies we have now, but on the other hand, they will be transformed so that they're fit for that realm, you know, whatever that means. So I think, you know, that there are some ways in which we will have a kind of physicality or a a physical existence of life. But on on the other hand, you know, we really can't say whether it uh, has to do with with houses or, um, you know, what, what that will mean. Uh, I mean, the, the closest clue we have is uh, some of the things in the book of Revelation, but that can be very symbolic, and uh, it's hard to know what, what it's really saying. What we do know is we'll be with eternal love. In the heart of the Trinity, we are with God. It will be a place of everlasting love, won't it? Absolutely. And, and we also know that it will, it will not include things like suffering and pain and, um, you know, all of the things that, that cause us to suffer here in this life. 
those things will be over and done with. Um, when, you know, when the final enemy is defeated, which is death, all of those things will, will go away as well. Mm. You brought up the word death. Death is not just something that happens at the end of physical illness. It is, it has a, a real a painful attack on the human person, isn't it? It's a, it, I, I don't know what I'm trying to say here, but it, there's a dimension about death that is probably the greatest fear of just mm-hmm. about everybody out there. It is. And I, I, on the one hand, there's a healthy fear there. Um, we, we talk about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's from, you know, the, the, the proverb. And um, so there is a healthy fear, uh, not that we should be afraid of God, but that we should fear the consequences of ignoring God and leaving him out of our lives. And, and St. Paul said the wages of sin is death. And so the, the natural result of sin and ignoring God in life is is eternal separation from God, which is death. But then on the other hand, we also as Christians know the bigger picture. And so I think that, you know, for many people in our culture, there is a fear of death because they think it's the end of their existence. And we're we're not meant to fear death in that way. Um, and and so we we are meant to have a kind of perspective that uh, that we know the bigger picture because we, we know the whole story. We'll return to Inside the Pages in just a moment. Did you know that you can obtain a free app which contains all your favorite Discerning Hearts programs? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Archbishop George Lucas... Father Mauritius Fildi, and so many more, including episodes from Inside the Pages, can be obtained on the Discerning Hearts free app. This also includes all the novenas and devotionals and prayers, including the Holy Rosary and Stations of the Cross, the Chaplet of St. Michael, and the Seven Sorrows of Our Lady, all available on the Discerning Hearts free app. Visit the iTunes and Google Play app stores to obtain your free Discerning Hearts app today. Litany of Humility O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, 
that others may be esteemed more than I. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. Jesus, grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Inside the Pages. Again, we're talking with James Papandrea about his book, What Really Happens After We Die. You know, we alluded to earlier in our conversation to those who may be in that heaven, in that paradise right now, and we refer to them as the saints, you know, the great cloud of witnesses that we hear mm-hmm. about in Hebrews. And that that connection is an important one for us, isn't it? I think so. I mean, I think part of the um, part of what the Holy Spirit does is connect us all to each other. And that's not just, you know, all Christians who are living now, but all Christians who have ever lived. There's a, there's a way in which the church exists across time, past, present, and future. And, and specifically the Eucharist is past, present, and future, because in the Eucharist, we, we represent the, the past event of the passion of Christ. And we, we worship in the present and we look forward to the heavenly banquet in the kingdom of God in the future. And so these things transcend time in a way um, and, and the communion of the saints is a big part of that. And we can tap into that communion of the saints by um, praying to the saints and asking for their intercession. And also by visiting the, the sites of their earthly remains, their relics, because remember, their bodies and the, the parts of their bodies that are left behind are still eternally connected to their spirits, which are with Christ. I mentioned the place of, where Joan of Arc was martyred. I had a chance to visit there. Again, this is somebody whose body may not necessarily be as intact as some of the of those that we may encounter to a pilgrimage in Rome or even here in the United States to different parts of the country. But mm-hmm. there is something because of what happened there. There's a there's you know there's a solemnness. There's a a touching with that particular sacred. I think that's something that God allows in some mysterious way, doesn't He? Oh, I think so. In fact, I think God doesn't just allow it. God encourages it. I um, I lead pilgrimages to Rome myself, and 
you know, when you're standing on holy ground, when you're when you're on the site where a saint was martyred, or you're on a site where Christians have have worshipped almost since the beginning of the existence of the church, um, there is a real connection uh, with God in a, in a way that's more powerful than just you know something you might experience back home. And and I mean, you know, at the end of the day, our faith is not a mind only faith. It's not something that happens only in your head. This is, you know, this is why we go on pilgrimages. This is why we, we kneel in, in our liturgies and we stand in our liturgies and we hold hands and we, and we do all of these things with our bodies because our faith is an embodied faith. I mean, after all, what began the whole thing was the incarnation of Christ. The the moment when Christ, the word of God became embodied. And so this is all very important. I'm so glad that in this particular work, Jim, that you encourage that understanding that it is, it's, we're interconnected doesn't seem to be the right word, but for that soul and for the body, we're not separate. It, there mm-hmm. is that uh, it's a whole. We, it, they're not to be separated. And I that's think right. that confuses people sometimes. It did me for a while. Yeah. That, well, that's right. And, and really, that confusion all goes back to the sort of pagan idea that somehow, you know, the spiritual is all good and the physical is, is either less good or bad even. And, um, and that's, you know, it's something we call a dualism. And that dualism is not a part of our faith. That dualism actually is opposed to our faith. Our faith says that everything is created by God, and what God created was good. And humans may corrupt the things that God created, but they were created good. And as you said earlier, this idea that um, God created all things visible and invisible. You know, uh, as we say in the creed, the, the, the physical the tangible and the intangible and the spiritual, these are all part of God's good creation. And, and we don't, we don't um, agree with this kind of uh, dualism. I always have to remind myself that when I don't necessarily understand it, St. Paul said, don't worry about that because we're just looking at things in a mirror darkly right now. There'll be a time right. when we will be able to comprehend it, but it may not be today. Right. That's right. Jim, this book is so phenomenal. We just only touched little bits and pieces of this. And, you know, again, thank you so much for the work you've done in bringing the alive, uh, literally, those uh, teachings of the Church Fathers. The ones that you've chosen in this book, uh, Tertullian, uh, Macarena, St. Augustine, we just don't know enough about their words on these topics, do we? Well, that's right. And I think, you know, that's part of what God has called me to do is to make that stuff accessible to the average person. And, and I just appreciate you letting me uh, come on the air and talk about it. I wish we had more time. But, you know, in the meantime, until they can rush out and get this book, do you have any final thoughts? Well, I think that, um, you know, I, I want people to think about what kinds of messages the culture gives us about the afterlife. And don't just accept what the culture around you uh, proposes, but question it and and ask, is that really what Jesus said? Is that really what the church teaches? Because as Christians, we do not believe in in a dualism that denigrates the body. 
we believe that the bodies are an essential part of, of who we are as human beings and that we are meant to be redeemed whole bodies and spirits. And so, um, yeah, just don't, don't believe what the world tells you, but, but think it through and, and, uh, you know, even if you have to go out of your way to learn what the church teaches, do that. I'm going to do that. And I appreciate the encouragement and you're coming on today. Thank you so very much. My pleasure. Thank you. With James Papandrea, we've gone inside the pages of What Really Happens After We Die and How We Know There Will Be Hugs in Heaven. To learn more about this book or to obtain a copy, go to sophiainstitute.com, the website for its publisher, Sophia Institute Press. Or you can find it at any fine Catholic bookstore. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with thousands of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we ask that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.